1: real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Today's interview was a real treat for me. It's with celebrated uh, filmmaker, Canadian filmmaker Adam Ogoyan, who has probably best known for *Exotica*, *The Sweet Hereafter*, more recently *The Captive* and *Chloe*, and and, and uh, a whole series of films. Check them out online. Uh, we're gonna have links on the bio for sure. But uh, today was a real treat for me because we were able to talk about more than just Adam Ogoyan as a filmmaker. We talked about him as a philosopher and as an existentialist, and as a as a as a guy who who cares deeply about uh, a, a variety of global issues, and who 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 studied international relations uh, as a as a university student, who clearly still has a heart for social justice of all kinds. I think you're going to really enjoy today's interview conversation. Actually, not really an interview; it's a conversation, and we talked about a, a lot of things and a lot of connecting points for a whole lot of people there for sure so listen in lean in a little closer i think you're going to uh draw a whole lot from today's chat and for me i uh we just we just scratched the surface i could have sat there for hours with adam and and continued and i hope we'll have an opportunity to do another interview in the real near future check out his new movie remember Uh, it's going to be coming out soon don't know when it's being released but i've already uh, i'm starting to hear some pretty good things well, welcome to Face to Face, sure. and I am uh, sitting here with Adam Agoyan. I can't believe it—we're at his office here, uh, surrounded by film posters and articles and so on. Adam, thank you for joining sure. us today. Yeah, pleasure. So, uh, I'm going to do my best not to talk about movies today. Yes, good, idea. <laughs> good idea. As I look at a poster right. of Exotica, it's going to right. be—it's going to be, be yeah. a challenge. But there's you, you, there's so many touch points with your life you know we could talk we could I think we could talk philosophy we could talk international relations I mean you studied yes international I relations. yes I, I actually came to Toronto to study international
1: relations at Trinity College and I uh, had been doing uh, drama at high school plays uh, but I had this idea that I wanted to be a diplomat that I ultimately I travel the world solving international crises while writing plays
0: uh, looking while, at, uh, while you were writing Yes, plays. of course. I you know, uh, you know, like a <laughs> right. Paul, Paul yes. Cradell or something yes. like that. Smoking French cigarettes, right, sitting yeah. on the Bali, uh, uh, balcony in Bali somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, it didn't quite work out that way. Uh, when I was at U of T, there was uh, um, um, a film club at, at Hart House, and I started making short films. And, you know, pretty much into my second or third year, I realized this is what I wanted to do. But I did finish my degree in international relations. I did write my thesis. Uh, which is uh, on the question of the national self-determination, focusing on Armenia, I'm Armenian, focusing on Armenia after the, um, after the genocide, during the Paris Peace Conference. And it's an interesting period because um, it's one of the few times when two leaders from completely opposing ideologies, uh, Lenin and Woodrow Wilson, both mm. espouse the same theory, the idea of national self-determination. And they both used Armenia, the newly independent state, as an example of what self-determination could mean. Now they had very different perspectives about it. I think Woodrow was genuinely altruistic, right? Uh, and of course his altruism you know, led to his defeat when he brought all his ideas back to the U.S. He was defeated by Congress because actually the U.S. wanted to have a mandate for Armenia while the right. rest of Europe was at the Paris Peace Conference looking at all, all the extraordinary wealth of these former you know ottoman empire you know the the the, the uh, oil uh, uh reserve was uh, sort of a treasure that the new world hadn't seen since the discovery of you know gold you know in in the Americas. so this was like an incredible bounty that everyone was carving up but america wanted to have armenia because of woodrow's altruism, that this was uh, a Christian country that had been decimated by this genocide and it needed support. W- Lenin was a bit more cynical. He right. basically felt that with the rise of communism, questions of the nationalism would just sort of float away, but in the meantime he had to kind of bring all of these fringe countries into the Soviet fold, so he promised a national self-determination.
0: Anyway, sorry. That so, getting, so, talk, so if I wasn't it. surrounded with all the memorabilia and the film posters and right. so on, I'd go, You're you're an academic. Are you well, an I, academic who makes films?
1: Uh you know, I what what it came down to is that I I felt that I didn't have the when I was studying this, I uh first of all, um it became clear to me that to work in the Foreign Service would require year, years of being in Ottawa and in a low-level bureaucratic position, and I just couldn't fathom that. And a ridiculous uh, exam
0: that you have to The pass exam to, was daunting. Ridiculous. Yeah, it, it w- really it was is. was daunting. i looked at and, it.
1: And, and I felt I wouldn't be able to pass that exam. And and frankly, my French sucked. You <laughs> know, like, I, 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 I can speak better French now than I could then, but I, I wouldn't, as a Canadian diplomat, that's something that sure. was also daunting. But I, I just... Felt that it was. Uh, I'm still very interested in that. I was a subscriber to Foreign Affairs for like a number of years, and I followed this all quite rigorously. But uh, you know, at a certain point, you know what your passion is, and for me, it was. Uh, it's an, it's
0: it was interesting drama. you bring that up because I wanted to. On the drive down, I wrote a couple of questions down as I was uh, coming into Toronto, and and I, you know, clearly, clearly, it seems to me that the films that you've made have a. Many, many layers, but you seem to want to change the way people see the world, you mm-hmm. know, in the words of D.W. Griffith. You want to, you know, alter the way we see, you know, John Berger, the way we, seeing comes before words, etc. So you want to change the way I think about relationships or forgiveness or uh, tragedy or loss, et cetera. Why didn't, I mean, you... you you could have, you could have been the diplomat. You could have been the politician. You could have been a teacher. It seems to me, and it sounds like you're sitting there. It sounds like you kind of still are. In fact, you teach yeah. at the European Graduate Film well, School, do you not? Yeah, I, I mean, I look. I, there, my practice is divided into two things. There, there are the
1: stories I tell uh, through film and through drama. There are the skills I have as a director, so I've been directing opera, and that to me is uh, very satisfying and something that I know I can plug into. But I also um, have come to understand that my uh, celebrity, if you will, has given me um, a forum to discuss other ideas. So in this particular year, with the 100th anniversary of the genocide, You know, there are invitations to write about this, there are invitations to speak about this. Uh, There have been, uh, and I've embraced those because I do think I I have that language, I do have that ability as well. So um, there is this idea of affecting people in terms of looking at alternate realities, alternate sort of experiences, um, better understanding the human condition. Um, That is, I think, an extraordinary aspect of what drama does. It allows us to enter into someone else's view of the world, someone else's experience of the world. It helps us better understand aspects of ourselves. It maybe uh, allows us to deal with pain, uh, trauma, uh, allows us to, um, to see how other human beings cope with extraordinary situations. That is all very compelling. But I also think that there is this question of information, allowing people to have access to uh, specific experiences or specific circumstances that they may not be aware of. And that might alter their world in a very fundamental way just by having the information. And uh, some of my films touch on that. I'm less interested in that, honestly, in drama than I am in one-on-one or on um, situations where I've been able to uh, be in a public a position to to write about and in the case of the Armenian Genocide you know what most people don't understand is the corrosive effects of the denial of this and Mm. and the mechanics of that and the amazing amount of money and time and effort that the Turkish uh, state puts into denying this event and that actually has made the Armenian situation quite unique so it's interesting when we talk about for instance the 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 situation in Cambodia where um, there isn't denial but there seems to be this erasure of memory which is internal uh, that where the victims have actually, uh, from my perspective, yeah. have dropped the ball yeah. in terms of what it means yeah. to have sustained that type of uh, cataclysmic. It's event. Like a like a coping mechanism, right. almost of a sort. Right. Of a sort. So I'm interested to learn about that. Hmm. You know, as an Armenian, I'm interested to talk to you about that situation. So when you refer to a a Buddhist tradition, I want to know about that yeah, because sure. it's interesting to me. I don't know enough about that. Right. I haven't heard people speak about that. So so. You know, and those types of exchanges are, are often done through, um, through, through um, uh, more academic work. Um, but that being said, there have been films about that. There's a film that was uh, nominated for an Academy Award a couple of years ago, dealing with um, you know the effects of the Chimera Rouge. It was an animated film. I don't know if you saw this. Yes, story. yeah, yes. yeah so, so, Pons film. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so so that that to me is interesting. So we do have a conduit. We do have access to that, but probably that has to be supplemented at a certain point
0: well I think too the I think for a lot of people I mean with places like Armenia and, and Cambodia in particular uh, those two if you were to go and head out on the street most folks that I've met anyway don't really have an understanding right I mean, don't really even have an understanding of what genocide really is how mm. you know what was the scope and there's some controversy around these things mm-hmm. as usual mm-hmm. uh, and then you get of course your your trials that and it's in the press and people start to hear about mm-hmm. it and but it seems to me a lot of people's understanding of of Cambodia, for instance, would be war films. Maybe, if they're right. lucky, you know, there's a reference in Apocalypse Now because they're going into Cambodia. There's, you know, the Killing Fields and so on. Lots of people have seen that stuff, but they don't really. There's not appealing back of the layers. Well, and what, then we have to ask, well, what motivates that?
1: And I think what motivates that is the pain of the victims. Mm-hmm. And if in mm-hmm. the case of Cambodia, if the victims are not exhibiting pain, right. you know, well, then what is the motivation for the outside world to peel back those layers? So right. much of the work that was done this year with the 100th anniversary of the Armenian genocide say there's still pain. You know, when the Pope makes his statement, he talks about an open wound. Right, uh, yep. and And so, so that alerts people, oh, well, this is ongoing. And so because it's ongoing, then you do have extraordinary things happening in the past month, like Germany accepting uh, the Armenian genocide, accepting a degree of complicity on their part. Uh, Austria, you know, accepting it. And, you know, these are monumental events, but they're based on the sense that there is uh, residual pain. What fascinates me right now, having this conversation, is, well, what, what happens in the case of Cambodia where there doesn't seem to be uh, an explicit de- demonstration of pain on the part of the victims or on the survivors or, or on the generation that follows as an Armenian, that interests me because we 've put a lot of stock in the fact sure. that transmission uh, of trauma is a real fact right. but but you know looking at the Cambodian situation superficially, as we were just just discussing it before, not to say that you 're superficial, but just to you know, <laughs> like in the brief <laughs> yeah, sure. time that we had yep. but but, but we, we, you know uh, there 's this idea well, what about a, a, a whole educational or spiritual system that somehow allows one to move on or allows one to think that uh uh, it was fated to be. Well, there's
0: almost some sort of ideological or cultural complicity at play. Right. That the, the, the crowd mentality or something that says, okay, this is the way we're going to deal with this. We're just going to push it aside. We're going to sweep it under the carpet and move on. Right. Because we've got to roll up our sleeves anyway, right? That British kind of grit your teeth right, and right. grin and bear it. But I've, what I'm hearing you say is, hang on, what are the implications of, of, of not attending to it? Right. So you, you I love the phrase, the corrosive uh, effects of, of denial. Right. I mean, it right. sounds to me, like that could apply very well to Cambodia still right, as right, well, right? Right. Yeah. In a different way, though, than Armenia, it sounds. Yeah,
1: to me like- uh, but but also there's this idea that perhaps there's this uh, idea of uh, what happens if there isn't denial, right? Like what happens if uh, I'm sorry. The, sorry. Let's just wait on. <laughs> Go back.
0: Okay. Question again. Yeah. So, so that whether well, you talk about the corrosive aspects of denial. And it, it seems to me there's a there's a connection, there's a link to what's happening in Armenia and in Cambodia and anywhere probably on some. But would level. you see,
1: well, would you say that what's happening in Cambodia is denial, or is it just uh, uh, is, it, is it, it it's it's not a state orchestrated denial? We're talking about denial in that case from. Um, um, from the individuals themselves there, there's this there's this idea of people wanting to suppress right you know right a, a, sure and perhaps you know even uh, repress their own memory of it uh, for their their well-being or their perceived
0: well-being right you know right. and so their idea per- perceived well-being I think is pretty critical it right. seems to me yeah mm-hmm. so you've always struck me from the, the first time I've watched your films uh, and met you and so on over the years. Um, as an existentialist, you know, this whole idea of, you know, existentialism would say, you know, Heidegger, Sartre, Nietzsche, and so on, we're running from our freedom. We we don't want it, we're scared of it, so therefore we do X, Y, and Z, which creates the problems we have in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that that's what's kind of going on in some of your films in the sense of um, your characters are running away from this grief, or at least the way you say it. You seem to be fascinated with this idea of grief and tragedy and so on, but it's about how the character deals with it, right? Yeah, well, I, Isn't think, it?
1: I think we have a lot of uh, situations where characters stumble onto a certain process or a certain ritual or a certain way of living their life that allows them to think that they are dealing with their grief, but what they're not aware of is, that, in fact, they're uh, accentuating their grief. They're, in fact, they've found a sort of a... Uh, um, um, a a pattern of behavior which uh, makes them think that they are healing themselves but because it's unregulated they veer off course and they actually find themselves in a place where their lives have become distorted to themselves Mm. and no one there is actually regulating that no one else is there's no therapist there who is actually a guiding hand they're actually ministering to this themselves uh, and in and, and I think many of the films show um, how disruptive and destructive and uh, harmful that might be, you know, uh, and, until someone else is able to acknowledge that experience. Someone else is able to see, you know, how um, they have put themselves in that place because they're not aware of it themselves.
0: It, I mean, isn't there something profoundly healing about, in a sense, doing what we're doing right now? Right, you know, connecting, commiserating, saying, "Hey, I get that. I understand that. Let me let me listen." You know, I think I heard you say recently, uh, or maybe an interview I saw recently. You said, "As a director, one of the big skills, the best skills I have, I think, is that I listen." Right. I tell my students all the time, as international development workers, we got to listen more. Right. You got to go into a community, shut the hell up. Right. And find out what's going on. Okay. And, then and I guess there.
1: the question then becomes, you know, why? What compels us to listen? Hmm. So. Um, there are situations where um, uh, there is a work, a focus of attention, there's a film, there's a book, there's something that uh, um, gives someone the forum where they uh, are able or have been asked to speak about their work and that starts a conversation. And that conversation is quite independent from the work itself. Much like you know the conversation we're having right now is not necessarily directly linked to a specific film, but it, you know we've been brought been brought to this place because of that body of work. Right. and I think that you know going back to your original question about international relations, um, I understood that as a diplomat. Uh, I would always, and I've noticed this when I've traveled to embassies and there are diplomatic functions, that the diplomat is always actually espousing a state function. I mean, they are, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. agenda that that they uh, have in front of them is is actually mandated by their relationship to the state um, as opposed to a free agent. You know, you can't have a, 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 a diplomat who is a free agent, uh, who is uh, responsible for their own thoughts. So that,
0: diplomats build relationships with footnotes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know, and, and so and I think there's some been some remarkable diplomats, you know, who have, you know, um, somehow um, skirted on the edges of that and sometimes to their, you know, I was fascinated by there was a Canadian diplomat who I'm sure you've never heard of called Herbert Norman, uh, who was a Japanese specialist um who was assigned uh, to, he was the ambassador of Egypt, where he committed suicide in the the early 60s. And this, you know, always had an effect on me because this was like one of our star diplomats. Hmm. But, you know, the more that was revealed about his life, the more we understood how complex this person was and how the mandate that he had to represent Canada couldn't really contain all the things that made up Herbert Norman. And, and and there were a lot of things he was fighting against. He was the only Canadian who was ever actually the, the victim of McCarthyism. Mm. The McCarthyism sort of spread its tentacles up north to really try and reveal who Herbert Norman was. From their perspective, he was a communist. He was uh, someone who was uh, operating against their system. And, you know, there was a, an RCMP investigation and that cleared him, and yet it came up again in his life. And it was something that, you know, but what he was at the end of the day was a very complex human. And his, his complexity did not fit the mold that he uh, gave to himself when he decided to become a diplomat. And that, you know, that he, uh, to answer your question about uh, academics, he would have been much better suited as an academic. Right, right. right? right. But he chose this role because somehow uh, it felt that it was, um, at a certain point, something that, res- that, that answered questions he had in his life about what he should do. And he went into this path that allowed him to camouflage aspects of himself, which being a diplomat allows. But that just bubbled up and it sort of boiled over at a certain point. And I only bring up that situation uh, specifically because we're talking about this idea uh, in a dramatic world, deciding what it is that people do. What are the actions that actually comprise, you know, um, you know, what we're watching in the course of a film or a play or an opera? And, and, and that... Um, is something that's consumed me. You know, it still consumes me. I'm working on a new script and Mm. I spend most of my day thinking, okay, well, you know, there's an infinite number of things that these people could be involved in partaking in or doing or decisions that they make. And as a dramatist, I am orchestrating all of that, right? Um, And I'm orchestrating it because I have the control to create these characters fictionally. In the real world, you can't. You know, you're actually dealing with given circumstances and, and you're trying to understand and respond to that. And you know um, the, the, that's a very different sort of set of uh, skill set than what a dramatist does.
0: Do you think you're you're more interested in f- fiction than facts? Well,
1: that's a really good question.
0: I I'm. And I, there's I'm, a reason for asking that, and I want to go yeah, somewhere with this, but uh, I'd love uh, to hear your I, answer. I, I
1: I'm I'm I think human beings are capable of absolutely anything. So I'm interested in facts in as much as they establish, you know, the spectrum of human behavior. Uh, And from that, I get inspired to kind of go off into tangents and and to examine uh, uh, things which are sometimes based on fact, but other times are based on conjecture or, you know, uh, but human beings are capable. There's nothing that a human being uh, wouldn't be able to do given the right circumstance or given the right, you know, uh, combination of, of various Um, you know uh, elements you know that a human being can be compelled to do anything and that that was horrifying and also inspiring
0: I sometimes part of the reason for asking that question is because I think it seems to me that you, you You are trying, you know, you talked right out of the gate about the human condition And about meaning and so on And, and this is where I see the connections to, to modern existentialism And this whole idea of freedom and choice and responsibility It's about authenticity, right? right? right, right. That's what we're, tr- or at least what I'm yeah, trying to get right, to here right, with you right, And right, I think right. we're, get, we're getting there and we're there And in any good relationship, any good marriage, any good partnership It's about transparency and authenticity and love and relationship And, and not to be trite at all mm mm-hmm. Um, but through fiction I think sometimes isn't it about what it points to that's what's really important so I remember getting into quite an argument with my brother recently who's clearly quite the logician because I said words are kind of meaningless it's what they point to that matters Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now we're talking about perspective aren't we? Right, right, right right. and approach and isn't that the life of a filmmaker and a a storyteller?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I, I think that you know you're you know the the big question is are we drawn to uh, uh, a character first or are we drawn Mm. to a circumstance like you know that and then we find that the character that sort of paints that I mean I I think there are the dramatists who uh, are are sort of drawn to um, a particular actor or a particular uh, um, character that they want to examine extol kind of and then there are these situations and you know, where you find yourself in a world where something has happened to you. I'll give you an example, for instance. Um, uh, my parents uh, uh, had this massive fire at their place, hmm. and we had to deal with an insurance adjuster. Horrible horrible. Recently? Right. No, this, this, this is um, in 1990. Okay, and, so years and, and, ago, but still suddenly, horrible. Uh, but I had to deal with this person who came into our lives for a certain amount of time and was helping them adjust their claim. Right. And so I looked at this person who had a, quite a, you know, uh, the job was, was, was quite matter of fact in a, in a way. But suddenly I looked at my parents' relationship to this person and I realized that, you know, he controlled... Their entire future. He would mm. decide whether or not the claim that they were putting forward was was honest. Right. Um, he would, you know, if, if you if you said that uh, you had a banging Olufsen in and the charred remains, he'd be the person who would actually assess whether or not you were telling the truth. Right. Uh, he would be the person who would be going through the you know ashes to see if it was a banging in or whether or not. So I was going, wow, this person. There's something almost angelic about sure. this character. Yeah. So yeah. that evolved into this uh, film. I made in 1991 called The Adjuster, which is about a person who is a compassion junkie who could only actually feel worthy when clients are asking him uh, for help. Uh, and he literally um, doesn 't sleep at night he 's like awake all the time, waiting for that call where there, where he is summoned to a fire or summoned to you know, a place where people are in distress and he can actually apply himself almost like a therapist but he 's mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. Um, unaware of it. He seems to be just almost robotic in his approach and this character is completely fictional. it had nothing to do with the insurance adjuster that my parents were dealing with, but what I saw in that position was somebody who wielded an enormous amount of power for a very brief amount of time until such time as that claim came through and then he's sort of forgotten but I began to fantasize what would it mean to have that job if you were somebody who was searching for meaning yourself if you were somebody who um was sort of drifting and suddenly, you know, you had these sporadic, you know, moments of extreme power as you were dealing with devastated people, and would that become addictive? You know, would it go so far as? Would you be looking for a catastrophe? Would you be causing catastrophe because you would want to ignite that need? You know, so it, you know, so there is an element of a fact because I did have a brush with this sure. job, but I'm sure if I wasn't a dramatist, I wouldn't have begun begun to fantasize about how that role can be uh, elaborated and become something else.
0: And is the hope, do you think, going in, Adam, to say, I've got this idea about this adjuster and where this story might go, but there's still this revelation, this self-revelation, this self-awareness and growth and so on as... You write, as you direct, yeah. as you
1: film. And then your education does come in. You mm. become, you know, like there. you go, okay, well, if he's obsessed with objects and the value of objects, there's this notion of fetishization, Marxist fetishism, right. you know, like, and so right. all these ideas, you know, begin to kind of compound and you go, okay, well, that's, that's an interesting concept, right? So, so that sort of, you know, so you create a forum, um, where you uh, explore these ideas uh, and then you hopefully bring in actors and people who are as engaged with those ideas and, and that becomes a, a part of, you know, the film is this machine that harnesses all these different sort of levels of curiosity and intelligence. And, and uh, you know, if... if you know, uh, you know another example, you know, perhaps more, you know, was a film made a couple of years ago called Devil's Knot based on the actual child murders uh, in, in West Memphis, Ar- Arkansas, where, you know, no one knows what happened in the right. forest that day. Right. No one knows as these children went into the forest what actually happened. There's lots of theories. There's been a number of documentaries. There's been a number of points of views. But 20 years later, we're never going to know. It becomes obvious that we're never going to know. How does a community live with that sort of cataclysm? You know how uh, you know, and 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 uh, uh, where something is so heavily mediated in terms of its after-effect and yet there's a fundamental mystery that'll never be solved. Um, and and while you're there, while you're making this film, uh, you know you're dealing with the personalities, some of the people who you know experienced it, the actors who certainly are trying to be in touch with the real people, and it becomes a, a form, a conversation. You know, it could be. You know, that, that film uh, which wasn't coming from my own imagination and, and mm. maybe I was an odd choice as a filmmaker to do that. But nevertheless, you know, it still is dealing with this notion of, of trauma and, you know, what, what it means to experience pain and not to have resolution.
0: Like, what, what do we do with that? Do you think, you know, I, I wasn't going to go here originally when I first heard you chatting, but do you think that it, this is connected to your history is oh, this I connected think it's to the, to well, the no, but, genocidal well, edge to your path.
1: Yeah, it has to be, right? It, it, it sort of has to be because it it, it is this. Uh, you know, you're raised with this idea that you know your you know your grandparents are are in in one case you know like orphans of this mm-hmm. you know, and so that that you know and and you don't have the family tree that other your friends have. Like your family stops at a certain mm-hmm. place, and and and. Uh, and and you see that it has not been resolved and you, and and you realize that there's still this distrust uh and uh and and uh and hatred you know even towards uh, you know, the, the people who would have brought this violence against your uh, relatives. You know, when I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s, there was, you know, terrorist attacks by Armenians against Turkish diplomats in retaliation for this. Right. So, so, you know, you're negotiating all that sure, stuff, of sure. course. You know, and, of course, that becomes part of your worldview.
0: Yeah, it's got to filter its way into pretty pretty much everything. I mean, that's the kind of conversation film classes will have in 50 years. a right. 100 years, they'll right. look back on your work and go, right. Aha. Here's here's one of the one of the layers, one of the threads. Yeah. Um, You've talked about recently in the National Post. You wrote a, I guess you gave a presentation on the twenty fourth hundredth year anniversary. Twenty fourth, April seventeenth, by the way, nineteen seventy five is when the Khmer Rouge invaded Phnom Penh and kicked everybody out, and that's kind of that was forty years ago. So it was the fortieth year anniversary. So there's seven seven days apart. Well, so that's, that's very interesting because, yeah. because I
1: think the uh, you know the King government has actually acknowledged like Genocide Day, so um, uh, April twenty fourth is Genocide Day, but it you know it also covers these other acts, right? And yeah, it, yeah, And that I didn't see again my own ignorance. I didn't know that date. Uh,
0: what it But takes? it's also
1: because because and again it goes back to this question I had to you. You know why is it that that, that present day Cambodia doesn't want that date um, engraved in people's minds? Like you know that that. You know what what has allowed that date to uh, sort of uh, fade?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I think to answer to try to answer it, I think some of it has to do with the collective sort of political uh, uh, climate the ideological implications of this, the fact that it's only started to come out in history books recently at the, at the universities and so on. I mean, it's been a rewriting, and, and it's kind of ironic. Brian Fawcett, a uh, Canadian author years mm-hmm. ago, wrote a book called Cambodia, uh, a book for people who find yeah. television too slow. Mm-hmm. Great, great read. And he talks about the, the he makes a uh, connection to the media kind of eradicating our memory here in the West, and this is exactly what the Khmer Rouge were trying to do back to year zero, we're going to destroy the banks, we're going to wipe out all the intellectuals, we're going to go back to an agrarian society. Well, to some degree, and I haven't really thought about it this until right now, until our conversation, that's kind of what's still going on, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's this complicity almost, uh, individually, but also collectively, to say, yeah, you know what, we don't really want to know about that, uh, because it just, we don't, I, I think part of it is, a lot of Cambodians just don't know, how, how would we deal with that? Right. What would be next? Right, you know, for us as 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 individuals, but also as a country, Mm -hmm. and yet, Adam, the irony is, you can't go a hundred yards without meeting somebody who hasn't been affected. By but
1: what does genocide. that mean when you say that hasn't been affected? What does that mean if when you say you meet that person, you can't go hundred yards without meeting that person who hasn't been affected? How do they let you know they've mm, been affected?
0: It's good. It's good. So um yeah, so I'd have to reflect on that, but often it's through Q and A and just, right. hey, who are you and where did you come from? And sometimes though you do meet folks like this one man Soon Ratana I've met recently, who who's just only too willing to tell you his story. You right. Know, it's but, all it,
1: but does he tell you that story with pain or is mm. it sort of like, is he resigned to that
0: story? Like, what, what I that think there's a resignation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I haven't seen a lot of uh, emotional pain. I think that might have something to do with the whole, uh, the Asian at the risk of stereotyping, the Asian saving face. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to make this other person uncomfortable, but I think there's a resignation there. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. this was our lot mm-hmm. and now it's time to move on. Right. I think.
1: Right. I don't did, know. You, did you see the exhibition at the ROM of the portraits? I did. That was yeah. all from S21. In yeah. fact,
0: believe it or not, that guy's name is Neum N., uh, I've interviewed him. Mm. I tracked them down up in Northwestern and Long just not far from where Pol Pot was buried. Mm. It's a great story. Drive in with a friend and an interpreter. We come up from Siem Reap. We don't know where to find this guy. We don't have a cell phone number. You nothing. mean it was one photographer who did all those images? It's controversial. There's, right, more, right. there's more than one, but right. he was 16 at the time. Mm. And uh, we drove into town. We sat down to have some food. This is like kind of wild mm-hmm. west mm-hmm. town. Mm-hmm. We ask uh, through our translator, this lady, it's his, uh, the, the kid that works with her, it's his uncle. It's a town of to 40,000 people. Right. So we drive around. He's getting a massage. He's local. He's local. Pol- uh, he's a politician now. Right. So we go back to his office. I sat there for two and a half hours. We, we talked through. him. I mean, it's unbelievable to think that I could have that connection yeah but those those photos um are are i mean they're iconic obviously but they're deeply disturbing
1: and what what has been to the, me you know the legacy of those photographs in his life like of having taken those photographs what, what what does that mean to him
0: it's i mean talk about resignation i mean this is a very cut and dried it's the classic this was my job right and if i didn't do this this is what would have happened to me now right. Uh, the question I would have for, for, for him and his family and his friends, could anyone actually peel back those layers with this man and get to, to the core of the issues and, and what really went on? Maybe over time, but, but I think it would be a deep challenge. It's difficult to get to know Cambodian folk. Um, I think you really have to, you know, somebody said to me recently on a trip, a Khmer guy, you want to you kill a Cambodian, you got to get to know him. You got to come alongside him. You need to gain his trust. And I think that's true of any culture to some degree, but I'd never heard it put that mm, way before. Mm. So there has to be a level of trust before anyone's even willing to come clean. So, I and, and
1: how do you compare that to, to, instance, let's say to the experience that Oppenheimer had when he was making, you know, uh, Act of Killing, right? I mean, that's it's a different culture, but I mean, is it? Uh, are there parallels there in terms of how I, he...
0: I think there are. I mean, I, I look at some of the characters, Anwar and a couple of the others in mm. that film, and just the... The, the, almost the glee, mm. the joy that they had about the people that they killed, right. you know, that, that this was their sense of duty almost. I haven't seen that in Cambodia. I don't Be, know, maybe I, it's I, there. I, I, but I mean,
1: I guess the, the, because in that case, I mean, those characters are still considered heroes. They are considered heroes, right, yeah, right, from, right. from Which that Which is era. different from Cambodia, obviously. It, it, I mean, it's
0: I think people at the time, when for instance, when, when, the, when the Khmer Rouge came into Phnom Penh on you know, April 1775, they were welcomed, they were cheered come on in, you're going to liberate us from the Americans. And in fact, then said, everyone's got to clear out because the Americans are going to bomb, which was a complete lie. you got to get out. And so they kicked them out and said, you can come back in three, don't take anything with you, you can come back in three or five days. Well, almost four years later, they were slowly allowed back in as a result of the liberation and so on. I think now, looking back, people know that Pol Pot was a maniac of mm-hmm. sorts, mm-hmm. Or, or at least his his ideology. You know, It's almost hyper-communistic. In a sense, so it's kind of looking back. You can kind of make sense of it, but I, but I think as uh, as somebody looking in, I still have a lot of trouble coming to terms with what went down there mm-hmm. on so many levels. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's deep, deeply, deeply unsettling for, mm-hmm. for a whole mm-hmm. lot of reasons. I mean, that's. I think that's part of the reason why I do this work. You know, you're, you're a filmmaker. I don't write stories. I mean, maybe someday I will. Who knows? I don't know. But more of an academic, I suppose. And it's my own coming to... I'm trying to come to terms with these issues in my life. You know, pain, loss, despair... Uh, I come out of a faith-based background and I find most of the time those answers are, are just unsatisfactory. You know? Why? You what know? makes it well, da- unsatisfactory? David Hume said all metaphysical questions should be committed to the flames, right? right let's right. just <laughs> yeah, yeah. write them on a sheet of paper and let's burn them up because right. they're, just, they're, they're pointless. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's right either. Yeah. Um, um, but I think for me, uh, where the most spiritual contact is, is between us. It's, it's in a community. It's, it's, it's at church, it's at the Rotary Club, it's in your office, it's on a film set. Mm. And so this incarnate kind of inclusion, mm. incarnate inclusion, this, this, and this is where I think I, I feel compelled to do the work that I do, you know, internationally in a development mm. perspective. Mm. And, uh, I, I'd think, I'd like to think that's sort of what's driving you. I mean, what, what is it? I mean, can you not, not make films? Um, can you not, not tell stories?
1: I mean I, I it would be it would be difficult not to be imagining um, um, a possible film I mean I, I do think that right at this particular moment I'm enjoying you know after three years of very intense activity doing these three features back to back and all this opera work I'm actually getting rem- remember right it's coming, coming, coming up but I'm right now I'm I'm trying not to think about physically making films but I'm still thinking about stories I'm Mm. still you know it's difficult for me not to be thinking of um narratives and possible stories or or uh reading and sort of allowing my imagination to be in another place you know um um I just think I'm I'm really curious, you know, yeah, like I'm, sure, I a sure. sense of wonder. Mystery? Yeah, I, I don't know what it would mean just to turn that off, like or well, what, you probably what, couldn't. Well, uh, what would be attractive
0: about that? Right. You know, uh, like you know, right. like like why right. not actually learn yeah. about more yeah. about you people? Could, hey, listen, you could always uh, diplomacy. You could always uh, sort of head back that way. I, you, I, I'm I, sure you've got friends I, now. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I'm I, I'm not so sure that that would be. Uh, I think it's a different world. I think I, I you know I was raised as a kid in Victoria, BC, and my parents were friends with people who were retired diplomats coming from sort of the golden age of Canadian diplomacy you know with Pearson years and you know like these incredible stories of between the formation of the UN and the Suez crisis and you know these you know where Canada had a real role as a middle power and we're not really in that place anywhere near that place you know our our reputation has been so severely eroded so
0: you know uh, so on that diplom- di- diplomatic line, do you believe in in forgiveness do you believe in reconciliation i mean of the, the subject of your films your stories oh, yeah, no, armenia absolutely. cambodia
1: no i do of course i do but but in, in order for that to happen there has to be um, some sort of demonstration of empathy and there has to be some sort of feeling of uh genuine Remorse for uh, transgression. I mean, I just think that that's that's very important. I do think that uh, you know I'm 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 proud of you know what this country has done in terms of being able to move towards some sort of reconciliation with the native population by an acknowledgement of the horrors that happened at the residential schools, the the uh, you know acknowledgement of the transgressions. That doesn't you know, it, it, there's no quick fix, right. but you know, but right. as long as we you know we're able to actually exhibit some degree of acknowledgement and 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 and, and uh, uh, an understanding of what someone else has suffered, I, I happen to belong to uh, a nation where you know the perpetrator of you know the genocide. Uh, against the Armenian people, you know, now, you know, effectively the state of Turkey um, has not made that move. And so I I, I, I find that that is so troubling. You know, as I wrote in that article, you know, that there is this, there's been this conservative effort to say the genocide was the result of the, you know, the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Turks. And I think that, you know, we're now at a phase 100 years later where because of the D- denial of the current Turkish state, we can see that as a as a continuation of a sort of of, of, of a genocidal you know p- policy. That you know it's not just a question of the physical eradication of a people and its and its and its civilization, but also the denial of that uh, that that ever happened mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is is this way of actually uh, ensuring that the uh, culture it will be thwarted. But in that and that's maybe why our means are so resistant and are so adamant about these dates and remembering and challenging that because we understand how uh, destructive that 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 tendency can be um, and we understand that it is an ongoing process but then you have Cambodia. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I, I don't quite, you know, I'd like to learn more about that. Yeah. I'd like to understand what are the mechanics of that. I'd like to see, you know, um, I'd like to see that explored more. I'd like to have that conversation.
0: I think it's, I, I really do believe it hasn't, the story hasn't been told enough. I don't right. think enough documentaries have been made. Right. I know there's another couple coming out. The Gate was at the festival last year. Right. Uh, you know, so there have been some films made and some certainly more stories, more I'd academic like to go, work. I like in. to, because
1: I remember reading uh, Cambodia,
0: uh, uh, you know, a, a, Brian, Brian
1: Fawcett's a, book. Brian Fawcett's book, and I'd like to kind of go I'll never, I'll never,
0: it's a brilliant book. In fact, I, when I interviewed Joshua Oppenheimer, I gave him a copy. I found it on right. AbeBooks. Books, right. got it for like four bucks. It was right. an old, used, marked up right. copy. Right. And, um, I was walking along Bloor Street. Brian Fawcett was sitting in a coffee shop. I went and I felt so bad, but I said, listen, I just got to say really quickly, I read your book back in 92. Huge impact. Thank you. And I shook his hand and walked away. And he right. probably thought I was a lunatic of some right. kind, oh, but it cool. had a huge impact on me. Right, right. And, and then, and then, th- 12 years later, to be visiting the country. Yeah. I mean, this is where I get excited, Adam, about the little things. Right. About incremental change, about the seeds that a film like Exotica or Felicia, or what, or whatever things that you've done that that that, that um, these launching points for thinking about the world in a new way. Right, right. That, that excites the heck out of me, whether I'm an academic or I'm writing right. an essay or doing a podcast. Right. right. You know, social change of, of one kind or another. I was going to ask you earlier when you were talking about you know, uh, Armenians and the genocide and so on. Do you think not, you know, you talked about the corrosive nature. Um, does that make you less of a human, in a way? And I don't mean that in a race racist, with a racist edge. It makes you less transparent, doesn't it? It makes you well, less I authentic. Mean, uh, you're ignoring something. You're avoiding the issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that it would... No, I, mean, I don't think it makes you less of a human because I think human beings are capable of that right. sort of monstrosity. I mean sure. it's just part Go of being, yeah. it's part of being a human. Um, it, 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 it's not one of the proudest aspects of what the right. what the a human being is capable of, but it doesn't make you less of a human. It just makes you uh, less of an of an, uh, of, an uh, of an empathetic and sentient being. Right.
0: Um, one of the one of the philosophers who I've been starting to read over the last couple of years, Emmanuel Levinas, French mm-hmm. thinker, I don't mm-hmm. know if you know him mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. but he wrote Totality and Infinity, and he said that, you know, as a result of the 20th century, basically because of the genocide of the mm. 20th century, mm-hmm. the 100 million we've mm-hmm. killed, uh, all philosophy, all religion has failed. Mm. Now what? Now what the hell do we do, right? And he comes up with, he would argue probably that it's not an ethic, but it kind of is, and he says the faith speaks soon as I see your face, it should say to me that I can't kill you. He's a, he's a Jewish philosopher. He says, thou shalt not kill. As soon as I see your face, the moment I say you're this type of person, these are the glasses you wear, here's your color, hair, I can now kill you because I've, I've started to objectify you in some way. And I think there's a real connection there to, um, to a better understanding of, of who we are individually, but also of other cultures, and 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 so on. Bill and I was on on being interviewed recently and saying, "Hey, we're all we're all in this together. We're all connected genetically. So what's the big deal? You know, I got the science to prove it. You know, and yet we just we we are f- frightened by difference. Well, yeah, and I think that uh, that's what a government is capable of doing is is is
1: is accentuating difference and uh, assigning blame. I'll give you mm. a story." Uh, I was asked to speak to uh, high school students about genocide many years ago. And it was at the height of the SARS epidemic Hmm. here in Toronto. And I thought, okay, what am I going to tell them about genocide? How does it start? And what does it trigger? And, And I just had this idea. I walked in the classroom... And I said, "Oh my God! Did you guys just hear the radio?" And I said, "Well, I mean, they basically have uh, determined that uh, the SARS has been brought in by the Chinese, you know, community because they're so dirty. I mean, in Chinatown." <laughs> oh, and, and, and I told this very convincing story. Wow. Of, yeah. of, and they were all uh, looking at me, and I was blaming the Chinese, and uh, and I was actually becoming quite angry at you know the fact that they behave this way. And then I just stopped and said, who's believing me right now? And everyone put up their hands. I said, okay, I'm just telling you a crock of crap. I, this yeah, is, yeah. I, I just, I'm making this up. Yeah, yeah. But because there was a fear, in that case SARS, and because I was able to actually, uh, I, to, to give you a narrative which made some sort of sense Look how willing you were to believe that. Mm. Look at the fact Mm. that no one here was questioning as I was going off the rails, as I was actually, you know, becoming racist. Right. You know, Uh, and I was actually, you know, exploiting the fact that there must be some uh, something in your imagination that wants to believe that there is a cause. Right. You know, I said right. there's a very famous example of the teacher that separated kids with blue eyes from brown eyes, right? So that the moment that there is uh, a sense that something or someone will allow you to feel that you are superior or that you are on the right side, um, we have this uh, frightening tendency to want to believe that narrative. We, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, and it's been exploited and uh, very few people will resist that and go back to the Bill Nye sort of idea. Well, we're all connected. We're all, you know, collectively, you know, and even maybe that question that you said about, you know, does that make someone less human? I think the first response has to be, well, no, uh, that is part of our condition. Yeah, sure. We can be terrible. We can all be terrible if we're given the permission to. It's like what you're saying about the 19-year-old going to Saigon, you know. Like, you know, if we're given that license, you know, we can... um, uh, we can embrace that uh, because it's within us. All these things are within us. And maybe when you talk about, you know, Emmanuel Levy, you know, and, and this history of genocide that you know that that that, that what he's talking about is, you know, that, that is some sort of empirical proof that philosophy fails us when in fact maybe, you know, the other way of looking at it is that well maybe philosophy was preparing us for right. that. Right. You know, that, that is what you know, everything leads to that as a possibility. You know, and and, and now, yes. The, still, the question is: Well, now what? What do we? You know, what's the right. next step? What's the next but, step? But but I don't think it's the failure of philosophy. It's ultimately, you know, uh, it's all part of this great. Conundrum of what our experience means and, and that is a huge issue and uh, we're not going to answer that today but uh, um, and not that I even propose to have if, you give, if we had a year, I don't think we'd be able to right. you know, that'll be podcast
0: 26 Yeah, will like go in So we got to wrap up um, You're excited about Remember the yes, next I film? Yes, yeah. I am, I'm very yeah.
1: excited about it because it's also Connected? Like, yeah, very much so the Trailer it's, looks it, awesome, yeah, yeah, by the way a, It's a Holocaust yeah. survivor yeah. who's uh, suffering from early stages of dementia who thinks he's found the person responsible for having killed his family in Auschwitz goes on a mission to hunt this person down but keeps forgetting why. Keeps, right. He keeps doesn't wow. you know doesn't know why he has this gun, why he's in a hotel Memory. room. Memory. Why you know so it's
0: be what it makes it, what, What I mean, If without memory, what are, what are we, right? Right. right wow. Right. Listen, I can't thank you enough for, sure, for joining you. us on Face to Face today. Tough. Talk about scratching the surface, but right. maybe we'll get another opportunity another yeah. time. Thanks. Uh, and
1: maybe scratch the surface with more vehemence and violence. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> and claw at the surface. And, <laughs> ch- you know, maybe we actually
1: dig out huge chunks of the surface exactly. and, until we bleed to death. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.